So as we continue on this morning, and as we dig into the Word, um, I want you to open up your Bibles, and I want you to head to 1 John chapter 2. And I thought, because it's Father's Day, what better way to start Father's Day than with a dad joke? Everyone loves these, a dad joke and a bad joke at the same time, yes. And we had some salespeople come to our door yesterday, and he left me with this dad joke. Um, And so here you go. What do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? They are parasites. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much my reaction too, but I thought I'm going to use it anyway. So, (laughs) but if you're unfamiliar with where 1 John is, just go to the end of the Bible. You'll see Revelation, head back through Jude. 3 John, 2 John, and then you get to 1 John. And once you find it, just keep it open as we're going to get to reading from his letter in a few moments. But as you're getting there, I have a question for you, and I want you to think about this. Have you ever experienced or observed a situation where someone acted in a way that was inconsistent with their beliefs? Hmm. Or perhaps they acted in a way that was way out of character for them, to the point where you might mildly say, well, that was odd. Or you might even get to the point of like, what is up with that person? What is their deal? Some of these situations that we've observed may be very minor. Some of them might even be a little humorous. Um, And there are others that can make our heads spin, even to the point where we get ticked off. Um, And if we think about it too much, we just feel our blood pressure rising, right? We have those things that just kind of get to us. So I want to provide a few examples for us just in order to get that frame of reference this morning, get those mental juices flowing, and to try to provide some connection points. And as I do so, though, I always have this hesitation. I want you to know I'm not trying to offend anyone, okay? I'm just bringing these up as possibilities. So if this is you, I'm not pointing anything out to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is but I'm not pointing anything directly out to you and trying to step on your toes, all right? So just remember, I'm giving these out of love, right? Right? Okay. So perhaps you've dealt with people who choose to promote a certain behavior, such as regular exercise, maybe a vegan diet or something like that, but you know that they do not practice it themselves. Hmm. We can think of those people and we're like, ooh, Or perhaps you've observed someone who is an avid environmentalist who drives a gas-guzzling car and it's not very fuel efficient and you think, hmm, well, that seems a little out of sorts. Or maybe you've observed your kids, or let's put it this way, other people's kids, okay, who say that they're full at supper, okay? They can't finish their broccoli or their tater tot casserole, or their peaches, or whatever it might be, because they're full. But, you know where this is going, right? The moment that you say, who wants dessert? I do. I, I'm, I need a lot of dessert, right? We've all been there. We, well, maybe we haven't all been there, but maybe you've witnessed other people's kids do that from time to time. Now, I will say this. The Apostle John is not 
dealing with environmentalists or kids finishing their meals in, in his epistle here, but he is trying to lay down some guidance for the church. And just as a reminder, it's been 50 to 60 years after Jesus himself had walked on earth. In those 50 to 60 years, a group of people had joined the church, but they came in starting to mix things in with the gospel of Jesus. They brought in the modern philosophy at that time. They were bringing in these spiritual and mystical experiences that they had, and they were merging them all together with the gospel to kind of promote this new teaching. And this group known as the Gnostics then started proclaiming that they had a special revelation of Jesus and that they were then spreading those false teachings about that. And these false teachings caused some of these believers to become uncertain about their faith. They became really shaky as far as what their new life in Christ was all about. So in response to this, John feels that he needs to address and address this, and he writes this letter to the church at large to reassure them about their faith and to give them some practical guidance regarding the Christian life. So in the first chapter, he has written that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, did in fact come to earth in the flesh, and he lived among us. He breathed, he was able to be seen and heard and touched, and because of Jesus and his work and what he continues to do as the eternal Son of God on the throne— We can have fellowship with God. We can have a relationship with him, and that life that we now have can be filled with joy. And to make sure that we have a proper view of God, to have the right narrative, he wants us to remember that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so that can help us as we then try to figure out, how do we live now? Because now we can live with him, the one who is in the light, and in whom there is no darkness at all so that we can have that fellowship and that relationship with him. And so John then opens the second chapter by reminding the believers that Jesus is our advocate. He advocates for us with the Father on our behalf, even if we do sin. So let's pick it up here at verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2, because John's going to go and he's going to start a new train of thought a little bit. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So in these verses... John wants to reassure Christians about their faith. He wants to establish certainty in their hearts, minds, and souls about the truth of being a Christ follower. So he starts verse 3 by saying, By this we know that we have come to know. Anyone ever hear the phrase, You know that you know that you know, right? It's kind of one of those older-ish phrases. I won't date anyone. But you've heard, We know that we know that we know. And that's what John's trying to really impress here, is that we know what we know, and that we can know these things. He's stressing here and throughout his letter that Christians are people who know what they know. That there doesn't need to be any kind of waffling. There doesn't need to be any kind of doubting in, in our lives. We know Christ, and we can know him. The truth for the believer is that Jesus came, and he lived and dwelt among us. And because he lived 
and then died as a sacrifice for our sins, we now can have fellowship with him. We get to have a relationship with him because of what he's already done. And in Christ Jesus alone, do we have any hope of that at all? Like, everything that you may have heard in the past, John is saying, as far as you need to do this and this and this, put that to the side. Because it is only in Christ Jesus alone that you are able to have any hope of having relationship with God. So John's message of assurance for all believers is that we can know that we know him. And this message of assurance, I believe, is as important now as it was 2,000 years ago. Because when we have this assurance, we can face the trials and we can prevail. We can come through trials and tribulations, the troubles that we face, whatever the situation might be, we can come through that and we can prevail because, as Pastor Mark noted last week, we have the, the hope of eternal life with him in view, right? We can have that and we can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And because we know that we know him, we can endure persecution on a small scale or a grand scale. However that might come, any type of trouble we can face because we know that we know him. And because we know that what he has already accomplished has done a great thing, and that our hope rests squarely and solidly on him. We are comforted, we are encouraged, we are strengthened by the truth that Paul writes in Romans 8, 38 and 39, where he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what happens, no matter what may come, we can know in Christ that we know him and we can know what he has done for us. Amen? That is a good thing. So in our text, what does John want to make sure we know? First, we can know that we know him, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can know in verse 3, where it says, By this we know that we have come to know him. Yes, we can know certain things about him. I think many of us know some of the different facts about Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He was laid in a manger. He had all kinds of animals all around him when he was born. He... He was the son of a carpenter. And even in his ministry, we can know that he did certain miracles, that he fed thousands of people, that he healed the blind, he healed the deaf, he healed the sick and the lame and whomever else. He did some marvelous things. But John is saying that it goes beyond this. We can know those facts, and those are good, and they can help us in our faith, but we can go beyond that. We don't just have to have that factual knowledge about him. Like, I know facts about Abraham Lincoln, but I don't know Abraham Lincoln. Whereas Jesus, I can know facts about him and I can know him. I can know him on a real personal level. I can know him in a direct and intimate way. I can become personally acquainted with him as I develop my relationship with him. Think about some of the significant relationships that you have in your life with your family members, or your BFFs. Some of you who don't know, BFF just means best friend forever. Okay, so that's what the kids used to say. It's probably not even in there anymore. But anyway, 
But think about those different relationships that you have and how you know that person. The relationship between husband and wife or parent and child or your siblings or your BFFs. Over time, you have come to know what they like and what they don't like. Maybe you know what makes them tick and you know what ticks them off, right? And sometimes when you're ornery, you go for that, right? You're like, I just want to be entertained for a little while. Here we go. Sometimes in the flesh, we do those things, right? You know what their physical expression is when they're having a good day, and you know how they look when things are not going so well. You can just see those things. And in the same way that we know our family members and our friends, we can know Jesus as well. We can know him, his heart, in a personal and intimate way. And he goes on, and at the end of verse 5, John tells us a second thing that we can know. By this we may know that we are in him. Not only can we know Jesus on a personal and a deep level, but we can also know that we are in him. And that has a broad meaning for us as a believer, but we can know and we can be aware that we are united with him, that we have a union with Christ because of what he has done and what he has accomplished on the cross for us. Through his sacrifice and his redeeming work, we can now be united with him, not just once at you know, a specific point in time, but for the rest of our lives. In John's gospel, he wrote down an analogy that Jesus gave of the vine and the branches. And in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And the idea is that as a believer and a Christ follower, each one of us is a branch that's connected to a vine. Jesus, the great vine, if you want to call him that, he is the one where all the life, all the sustenance, all the things that will cause us to grow resides. And as we are connected with the the vine as a branch, we share the life of that vine itself. You know, if if you're a gardener and you think about the the plants that you you plant, tomatoes or or cucumbers, you see the the plants growing and they've got that kind of that central base, right? They've got that stalk and then you've got all these branches that branch out and then over time the the fruit or the vegetable begins to grow. And the life that flows through the vine begins to flow to those extremities. And just as that is, it is for us as well. That now it begins to flow in and through us. We have this life-giving, organic relationship with Jesus where he is feeding us and he's sustaining us and he's helping us to grow and develop and become fruitful. And whereby we are in him and he is in us and we have received and continue to receive of his life. As we're united with him more and more, we can say things like the Apostle Paul who says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. His life is what now flows through me. It's no longer my old fleshly ways, the, the, the habits and the sins of my past, but it's now his life that is flowing through me and begins to do that more and more. So in these verses in 1 John, he wants to reassure us as believers that we can know that we know him on a real personal level and that we can know that we are in him, which I think are two huge things for us to know 
just as a foundational level for our life with Christ. That is, we're wanting to just have that certainty, no matter what, we can know that we know him, and we can know that we are in him. Now, obviously, it's nice to know these things, but it kind of begs the question, because we like to probe a little deeper. We may ask, well, how do I know this? How can I be certain that I know him or that I am in him? And John says, well, I am glad that you asked. Here are some proofs of truly knowing Jesus and that you are in him. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. And he gives a negative example first. And he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. John tells us that we can know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Proof that we know Jesus on a real, personal, intimate level is that we obey his commandments. We examine our conduct and our lives to see if we line up with what God says, what, what his word says, and what he is revealing to us. Now remember the situation that John in the early church was dealing with. As he wrote these words, John had in mind the Gnostics, those who were spreading false teachings in and around the church. Because they had these mystical experiences and these special revelations, they felt that they had a special status. And they had these things that were from God himself. So their actions and their conduct, however, were not reflecting this life. They were doing things because they felt that they had these special revelations which were not based on the truth of the gospel, and so they were following that and deviating then from a life of following Christ fully and truly. And on the flip side, because of their teaching, the believers in the church were doubting their relationship with Christ and their status in the kingdom because they did not have those same kind of mystical experiences like the Gnostics did. And they perhaps felt like second-class Christians because they wondered, why the Gnostics had these special revelations, but I don't. I must be missing something. I must not be as good of a follower. I must not be a true Christian. And John's saying, no, that is not the basis for how you know that you know him. So he provides us instead with a true test to validate our experience in Christ. And it's not the mystical experience. It's not the thrills. It's not the feelings. It's not the the sensations that we might have that show us that we know him. Rather, John says, we really need to evaluate our conduct and our lives. What is our life like as a result of knowing Christ? And so our actions will reflect the depth of our knowing him. And they serve as a gauge, a barometer for us in that way. We ought to be asking ourselves constantly, what is my life like? How am I doing? Am I living in a way that demonstrates that I've been changed and I'm being changed by God? Because it's not just a, a one-time like light switch. It's, it's kind of like, we'll call it the dimmer switch. You're, you're continuing to grow and glow brighter as he begins to work in and through you. So as you change and you start to follow him, you ask yourself, am I changing my actions Am I changing my behaviors? Am I changing my habits so that I'm aligning with God's commandments and principles? And before we go too far, I really want to make sure that I'm clear on this, that this is not like you, you're either all in or all out. 
This is a, like a trajectory. Our, we're on a path of following God rather than it's a one and done, I'm perfect or I'm not. Because I've accepted the invitation to follow Christ, my relationship with sin has changed. Like before Christ, I was in sin and I, I did everything that sin kind of wanted me to do and I followed those temptations. But now as I have accepted Christ and I want to follow him, my relationship has changed, but sin still likes to hang around. Does that make sense? Like sin is still there and it will still be a temptation for me and there will be times when I stumble and fall. And each time, if you're like me, you kind of like, oh, nuts, I did it again, right? We have those moments. And as a believer, sin is not eliminated, but it should no longer be loved or pursued or enjoyed or bragged about. Like that, those were things of the past and we can say, okay, I did that, but now I am trying with everything that I have to follow Christ. I begin to be concerned with living out this new life in Christ. I strive to be obeying God's principles and commands. Not that I'm following a list of do's and don'ts. Instead, I want to live the Christ-centered, spirit-filled life, which becomes the overarching goal of my life. Because we don't want to be the, the verse 4 people, right? The ones that say, I know him, but don't keep his commandments. I think just about every one of us in here can remember a time when someone said, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you're thinking, how in the world can you say that you're a Christian? Because none of your actions seem to resemble Christ at all. And I'm not saying that in judgment, but just I think we've experienced that, and I think the world around us has experienced that so much that it says, I don't want to have anything to do with it because the church is just filled with hypocrites. And I think John is calling us don't be a hypocrite. You are supposed to do something more and do something beyond that. So instead of going about and saying, okay, I've got to follow a list of do's and don'ts, it now becomes this mindset that I want to live a Christ-centered, spirit-filled life that honors God with everything that I have. And my great objective becomes that I want to be well-pleasing in his sight. I know that I am not, and I will not ever be perfect, but my goal is to continually please him. And that's what I'm striving for each and every day. As I get up each and every moment of the day, I want to do what is going to honor and glorify him. And that's the test or the gauge that John gives us to help us know that we know him. And he goes on to explain it a little further in verses 5 and 6, where he says, but whoever keeps his word... In him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, walked on this earth and lived a life in connection with the Father. And John rightfully holds Jesus up as the perfect example of how we ought to pattern our lives, right? John calls us to walk the everyday walk that Jesus had with God the Father. We watch and we observe Jesus' life, and we strive to act and live in the same way. We notice the things that he says, the emotions and the motivations that he feels, and we work to imitate him in what we say, what we think, what we feel, what we do. 
That's our goal and our aim. And as believers, we should look more and more like Jesus as time goes on. And if we think back to that analogy of the vine and the branches, I believe we can get a good visual picture of this idea. As a branch connected to a vine, again, I should be like the vine that I'm attached to. If, let's just go with it, if Jesus was a grapevine, then I should look like and take on the characteristics of a grape plant. I would exhibit grape leaves. I would exhibit the fruit of grape, hope, grapes, hopefully over time. Um, and that would be the goal. But if I start to exhibit banana leaves and, uh, and all of a sudden I'm bearing banana clusters, I think we've got a problem. I'm not truly connected. Number one, yeah, that's just weird. Um, but, in, but we have this idea that we should be resembling the one with whom we are connected and united. And if we say that we are in him and that his life is in us, then we should begin to reflect character like his. We should be walking and living our lives in the same way that Jesus did. So to help us walk in the way that Jesus walked, we can go through the Gospels, right? We can take note of his life. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which thoroughly talks about all that Jesus did. And it's nice to read through them and see the miracles, and we can be encouraged. But in this regard of wanting to walk as he walked, we need to take note of the things that he says and does. We need to examine how those things can be applied to our own lives every day. Like it's not these, all these spectacular moments, but what was Jesus doing day by day by day? How do we live out life? So we ponder the words that he speaks. We look at his actions and what he does. We think through the emotions that he might have felt in a situation. You know, sometimes we have to just kind of sit with a, a story and we say, what might have been going on? What might he have been thinking and feeling? How, how can I relate to that? And then we can look to pattern our lives after that. How we can live our life like him. Even if that seems foreign to us. Even if it seems way out of our comfort zone. But maybe for our lives at that particular moment, maybe it's just like a seed being planted. Like, hey, here's a nugget that we're going to be working on. Just be aware like this is coming. For example, in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And as you read that, you see that Jesus proclaims himself to be gentle and lowly in heart, or humble. And you may ask yourself, do I resemble that? Am I living in a way that reflects gentleness and humility? And let's be real here. That's not an easy one. We don't live in a culture that says gentleness and humility is where it's at. Kind of the opposite, right? You are supposed to assert yourself. You fight for what you need. You do whatever it takes to make sure you can advance and that you are taken care of, right? But to walk in the same way that Jesus walked, we ought to become gentle and humble in our ways. And that might take some time for each of us. That's not a, again, it's not a light switch. Maybe all of a sudden you can, but for most of us, that's going to be a long process, right? And there are hundreds upon hundreds of ways that we can grow in him and become more like Jesus as we examine the scriptures and his word. And each of us is going to develop Christ-likeness in different ways. I may be working on being more patient with people. I might be going through a rough time, and I just need to 
remember, I need to be patient with people. Or Henry might be learning that it's more important to do the will of God and to please him rather than being a guy who always is pleasing man and whatever man wants. Maybe that's what Henry needs to learn. Maybe Shannon needs to learn to mourn the sin of the world around her and just grieve its effects and its impact, but still love all the people around her. Maybe Rob is working to end a lifelong addiction that he's had, and that's what he is working on, and that's what the Holy Spirit's working on in his life. And Stella, she just needs to find that she needs to speak words of life and truth rather than gossip and biting sarcasm and negativity all the time. And God is working on her in that. The goal of each of us, no matter what our situation is, is that we should be striving to grow in Christ-likeness all the time. And once we've grown in one or more areas, guess what? More will likely be revealed to us. Because, oh, I passed that hurdle. Oh, I've got five more right here. And they're, they're rapid-paced right after each other. So we might have to deal with a cluster of things. We might have to deal with just one thing at a time. But the goal is that we are striving with everything that we have to live like Christ lived. And we keep working through them. And when we do these things, keeping his commandments and walking as Jesus walked, it demonstrates to ourselves and to those around us that we have love of and love for God. We begin to understand how God, our beloved, may be pleased and served and honored. And as we understand that, and then do those things, then our love for him is demonstrated, right? Those things are shown by our actions. We desire to live like this because we are believers and we know him and are growing in knowing him. These actions and behaviors won't make us Christians. Rather, we keep his commandments and walk like Jesus walked because we are Christians and we love him. We love him and so we want our lives to show that we love him. Think of it in, if you're married, think of it in the marriage relationship. So I'm going to use my wife and I as an example. And before we go any further, I need to be upfront and say, I am not the perfect husband. Okay? I'm going to use an example that may cast me in that light. But that is not true. Okay? I am not the perfect husband, father, anything else. But... With all that being said, I still try to honor and serve my wife, to love her with everything that I have. And as we've been married almost 23 years, I would like to say that I have come to know her more and more. We've grown fond of each other. I love you. I know what she likes. I know what she dislikes. Early on, I would have been that ornery guy who would sometimes, let's be entertained. And, like, like, let's get her going. But I've come to know, you know what, I love her, and I want what is best for her. Now, when we were first dating, I decided to make dinner for Valentine's Day one year. And I thought that would be a really nice thing. She was coming back from Whitewater for the weekend, and I thought a simple chicken recipe in the crock pot would be great. Like, I'm not flashy as far as my food-making skills, we go with what we, what we know, okay? Well, what I didn't know then, but I certainly do know now, is that my wife does not like mushrooms. Not even if it is just cream of mushroom soup. 
Well, you know where this is going because guess what one of the ingredients of the chicken recipe was? Cream of mushroom soup. And so it, I don't know, it was like a can or two that went in the crock pot and we had multiple chicken breasts in there. And so we pull it out. She comes in to the apartment and, you know, serve her and, and get her all that food. And I notice she's just kind of picking at it and scraping things away and, and stuff like that, which I didn't know, but came to know that she doesn't like mushrooms, which that is her prerogative to not like mushrooms. I'm not like this over, wow, mushrooms are the thing. But as an ingredient, I always thought, hey, that's what we can do. Well, she was gracious enough to pick through it, but I learned that those were a no-no, and I avoided mushrooms in any recipe from that point forward. Now, I have learned many things over the last 23 years, but I'm still learning. And I think that relates to our relationship with Christ as well. We've learned many things as we walk with him, but we're still learning. And my goal in our relationship with, between Amy and I is that I want to demonstrate my love for her in the way that I treat her. I want to help her even in the little things. And so often we'll be relaxing in the family room and we will be doing whatever. We might be watching TV or, or just chit-chatting. And she might say that she's thirsty or she's interested in a snack. Now, most of the time, she's just externally processing. That's, that's just, again, I have learned this over time that sometimes she's like, you know, I'm thinking about getting something to drink. Or I'm thinking about getting some popcorn. And that is not the cue necessarily for me to get up and go. It's, and that has never been her, her goal. But oftentimes I, I will pick up on the cue and say, you know what? I want to get her something to drink because I love her. And it's just, it's a, a dumb, stupid thing. But it's just one of those ways that I just want to show, hey, I care for you and I want to serve you and I want to meet your needs. And when we were first married, we'd have little debates about this. Well, you don't need to do that, but I want to. It's okay. Well, I can do it. Well, I know you can. You know, and we, this would go both ways. So I'm not saying she was the only one who would do this. We both would do this. And we realize, you know what, it's okay to have the other serve yourself once in a while. And, you know, we don't debate as much. I can't say that we never do. But, um, but those are the types of things. Like, I just want to show that I love her by doing things that will please her, that meets her needs in a, in a certain moment. And she does the same for me. And this is what our lives as believers really should look like, that we are showing our love for Jesus and that we are allowing him to transform us from the inside out. That, walk, that we walk in the same way he walked and that we keep his commandments. And again, John reassures us that as believers, we can know that we know him and we can know that we are in him. And how do we know these things? We can see the proof by examining our conduct and our lives. The mark of a person who truly knows Jesus and is in Jesus is obedience and following his ways. So in these closing moments, I just want us to take a few moments to examine and evaluate ourselves. To ask yourself, do I, do I truly know God in a way that I'm showing it? 
Is Jesus real to me? Or do my actions just reflect that it's more of just a story? What is my life like? Is my life characterized by an intimate knowing of him? And even as you're asking these questions, I want to caution you, don't feel guilt or shame or that you're less than. Because remember, this is like a trajectory. This is a path that we are on and that we are just continually trying to become more and more like him. But what is your trajectory at this point? Are you aimed toward Jesus in how you live your life? Or are you deviating a little bit? Are you beginning to show banana clusters rather than grapes? Am I keeping his commandments or am I living how I want to? Am I striving in general to live the Christian life or following his ways? I think those are the types of questions that we need to be asking ourselves on a daily basis as we're trying to live the Christ life. If we say that we are Christians, if we say that we know him, then our lives should be following him and, 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 and showing that and demonstrating that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today as blessed people. You have invited us into a loving relationship with you. And many of us have accepted that relationship, that we have accepted you into our lives, and we say that we want to follow you. And we are grateful that you continue to work in our lives. And today, we simply come before you and we honestly want to evaluate our lives. We want to see, you know, where am I at? So would you please help us to do that this morning? Would you help us to truly see whether we are striving to live in obedience to you and following your ways, or if we are off track and following our own ways? So Lord, we just in this moment, we invite you to speak to us personally this morning. Someone here or maybe watching online may be saying that I don't think I've ever accepted the invitation to begin a relationship with Jesus. Perhaps you know that you need to restart your relationship with Jesus even. And I want to give you an opportunity just to start afresh and anew. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something just as a simple act saying that you want to do this. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out and make you do something weird but as a, a simple sign to the Lord. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand as a step to begin that relationship. And you can put it down again uh, when I see it. So if that's you this morning and you're saying, you know what, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus or I want to restart with him and just set things right, just raise your hand right now. Thank you. And even if you're online and you're watching us and you want to do that, I encourage you to do that. Just to say, that's me and I want to start. So with that, we're going to just pray a simple prayer this morning together. I'm just going to say some words and there's no, you know, nothing special in the words. But just a sign of saying, I want to follow you. So, Together, let's repeat these words. Lord Jesus, 
I thank you for all you've done. I thank you that I can know you and that you have invited me into relationship with you. So today, I make that choice to follow you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to follow in your ways. I give my life to you today. And I want to obey you in all things. So help me, Lord, because that is difficult in my own strength. So please help me to follow you from this point forward. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you said that prayer this morning, first and foremost, that is an awesome thing for you to start that relationship with him. And if that's you, and this is your first time or even restarting, I encourage you to let someone know of that decision that you've just made, of that choice that you've just made that says, I want to follow him. So I encourage you to do that. Before you go to bed tonight, tell someone that that's what you've done because that is an awesome thing. And they're going to encourage you. And if you need a home church, we invite you to become a part of our church. We love you and we'd love to help you along the way. So would you stand this morning? We're going to open the altars in, in a moment if you want to spend a few more minutes in prayer. But I'm going to dismiss here uh, by just praying uh, a simple benediction. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May you go and have a blessed day today. Fathers, make sure that you get your goodie on your way out the door. And have a great day. God bless you.